Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to the OSHA 3030 with Monish Rath. I'm Monish Rath here at Keller and Heckman, and I'm actually uh, joining you from Chicago, Illinois, and I'm joined by my colleague, Javne Nakumaram, in our uh, studio in, at the Keller and Heckman offices in Washington, D.C. Javne? Hi, Manish. Thank you for having me. Javne, as you know, we have a great topic today, a uh, case that came out of the U.S. Uh, court, and it deals with, in construction, the concept of the single employer theory, uh, where we had a uh, general contractor essentially for for roofing and a subcontractor and uh, and the question of whether or not based on their the way they ran their business whether or not they formed a single employer as a construction of law under the single employer test so that's our topic today uh, why don't we go ahead and do this why don't we first get into uh, first I should point out that if anyone hasn't dialed in the phone number for voice is separate from the web presentation of the slides. Uh, so let me go over real briefly what we're going to talk about today. I think the first thing we ought to do is give an overview of the facts in this recent case and the facts behind the Occupational Safety and Health Administration's citation, issuance of the citation and discuss not only the single employer test, but also the, Dar uh, the Darden test, which appears under common law, uh, to examine the agency principles under which a subcontractor works for a contractor and whether or not uh, any of those elements can be applied. Uh, and then to understand the employer's challenges to the single employer test uh, as part of its challenge as a general contractor for, uh, to the OSHA citations themselves. And then we'll give an explanation of the First Circuit's decision. That's the U.S. Court of Appeals for the First Circuit. And then finally, as we always do, we'll wrap up with a practical discussion of what employers should do in light of this decision. So with that said, why don't we start by going over some of the facts in this case. Chavani? Great. So to give some background about this case, it's important to understand a little more about the companies that were involved. So we have AC Castle, who is a general contractor who at the time of the OSHA investigation claimed no direct employees of its own. AC Castle, they essentially secure contracts with homeowners to replace roofs on their homes. And then AC Castle subcontracts various roofing companies to get this work done. And uh, Brian LeBlanc was the sole manager of AC Castle. We also have uh, Proventure Home Improvements, or PHI, which is uh, a company that was a subcontractor for AC Castle. So PHI is the sole proprietorship of Daryl Proventure. So these companies, they have been doing business together for decades. Daryl Proventure and Brian LeBlanc were friends for over 30 years. And so about 95% of PHI's income came from AC Castle, and about uh, 75% of the projects PHI worked on came from AC Castle. So uh, AC Castle, their business was absolutely critical for PHI, uh, PHI's business and vice versa. So what happened in this case was in October of 2014, the companies were working on a project together. 
at a residential construction site in Wenham, Massachusetts. So on the day of the accident, Brian LeBlanc had allegedly asked Daryl Provencher to double up on the spruce board planks sold at a hardware store so that the employees using the planks on the roofs would have some extra support. They would use these planks for scaffolding. So uh, Provencher allegedly did not follow this direction on the day of the accident, so he purchased some planks. Um, he had allegedly thought they were uh, acceptable and uh, strong enough to use for staging. However, on the receipts uh, for these planks, they indicated that these uh, planks should not be used for staging. Uh, so then uh, during the workday, two roofers, unfortunately, uh, who were performing work, uh, fell over 20 feet because the spruce boards they were using for scaffolding snapped in half. Uh, the workers were not tied off to an anchor point either, which is why uh, they fell from the roof. So following the accident, OSHA inspectors investigated the work site and cited not only PHI but also AC Castle for alleged, allegedly failing to ensure that the scaffold was capable of supporting its own weight and at least four times the maximum intended load applied to it, which is a requirement under OSHA standard for scaffolds. OSHA also claimed that this was a willful violation. So uh, in addition to this violation, OSHA is, uh, claimed a number of other violations relating to the scaffolding stand, uh, standard and assessed an initial penalty of uh, about $294,000 against the companies. So in explaining why the agency chose to cite both companies rather than just PHI, OSHA offered two alternative theories. First, that under uh, Occupational Safety and Health Review Commission precedent, the two companies should be constituted as a single employer, and therefore they can both be cited. And second, under the common law agency test set forth by the Supreme Court, Daryl Provencher was a supervisory employee of AC Castle, and therefore uh, his knowledge of the worksite violation could be imputed to AC Castle. So we'll uh, provide more detail about these two theories next. Well, I think that's right. Uh, th there's two theories. One of them is OSHA is asserting to the Review Commission and then to the First Circuit, look, AC Castle and Provencher were so uh, intertwined that they should be treated as a construction of law as a single employer. So any OSHA standard that Provencher uh, violated, that was a violation by AC Castle as well. They're the same employer for the purposes of OSHA compliance. But the other is, look, even if you had two employers uh, co-located on a single job site, then that's the multi-employer worksite doctrine, which we've talked about on a number of occasions here at the OSHA 3030. Uh, and then essentially the analysis is slightly different where Provencher is the, the employer that actually was in charge of complying with the uh, uh, relevant standards and AC Castle might have had uh, the role of a controlling employer where it could have stopped the hazards had it had the opportunity to. Really, OSHA preferred to advance the single employer theory in this case. It thought it, I think, uh, it believed that it had a good test case for uh, establishing single employer liability. Ultimately, uh, Mr. Provencher himself uh, passes away during the proceedings, and so for that reason also, I think it was important for OSHA to proceed 
against AC Castle as the employer, in fact, uh, testing its single employer theory. So, so essentially, OSHA looks to existing review commission decisional law and says, look, under the single employer uh, theory, there's three factors that we look to to establish that a single employer existed here, uh, albeit nominally under the ages of two different uh, employers here, AC Castle and Provencher Home Improvement. And those three factors that we look at to say that these two were really, in fact, one, uh, the first we look at is to see whether or not uh, there's a, a common work site that the employees have access to uh, and thereby have access to this or exposure to the same hazardous conditions. Number two, uh, are the operations of the two organizations interrelated or integrated? And number three, do the, three, do the two organizations share uh, common management or common ownership or uh, the supervision is in common or a common uh, executive like a president? So those are the, the three factors that OSHA believed it needed to establish in order to show that AC Castle and Provencher were really a, should be treated as a single employer under OSHA law. So not only did OSHA argue that both companies could be cited as a single employer, they also argued that both companies could be cited under the common law agency test. So, so this test was established by the Supreme Court in 1992 in the case uh, Nationwide Mutual Insurance Company v. Darden. So this is often referred to as the Darden test or the Darden factors. So, so the Darden uh, common law agency test says that in trying to determine whether uh, a hired person is an employee, you have to look at the hiring party's right to control the manner and means by which the, uh, the, the product is accomplished or the job is accomplished. So the level of control that the company has over this person is key in the analysis. And so uh, the, Darden, uh, uh, the Darden case uh, really emphasizes that the extent uh, to which the hiring party controls uh, the worker and how they complete the tasks is the most, most important factor in this analysis. However, Darden also discussed uh, other factors that are relevant to this question, uh, uh, including uh, who provided the tools and instruments for the job, uh, the location of the work, the duration of the relationship between uh, the, the hired person and the company, whether the hiring party has the right to assign additional projects to the hired party, the extent that the hired party has discretion over when and how long they work, and even how they arrange methods of payment uh, and the hired party's role in hiring and firing uh, employees. And also, you know, it even, it even comes down to uh, other employment issues like how are benefits arranged, uh, how is this employee treated on tax forms, et cetera. So all of these factors are important in trying to assess, is this hired person really a, quote, supervisory employee uh, of the company? So AC Castle challenges the premise that it should be treated under either test, the, the Darden test or the single employer theory. It challenges the idea that it is 
integrated or interrelated in any way with Provencher. Uh, and its arguments, I think, are compelling. For one thing, Provencher doesn't do all of its business with, uh, with AC Castle. Uh, by different measures, Provencher gets 75 to 95% of its business, Chavanet, as you noted earlier, uh, that, that from, from AC Castle, but it does get jobs elsewhere. In fact, uh, Mr. Provencher himself testified that he was able to solicit business from customers that were assigned to him by AC Castle. So AC Castle would go sell work to homeowners for home improvement, including roofing. And if they, he got work, he might assign it to any of six or more uh, subcontractors that he worked with. Provencher was only one of them. So there you also see that there's this arm's length relationship because AC Castle doesn't depend entirely on Provencher, but also affirmatively uh, the converse is true as well. Provencher doesn't depend entirely on AC Castle for its business. And in addition, once on the job site, Provencher can say, hey, we do other work. But, uh, but there are counter countervailing facts, and we'll get into that when we describe the First Circuit's decision ultimately and, and how it based its decision on those facts. Uh, but I think the other point that AC Capital tried to make was, look, we, don't, we specifically divested ourselves of all of our employees years ago. We worked with the council to become a non-employee general contractor only. We go sell jobs, and then we go find people to, to staff up those jobs. Those subcontractors are distinct entities. And we specifically did it for that reason, that we didn't want to uh, employ those employees. So, so we did that years ago. We got rid of all of our employees, and we looked to subcontractors who will handle the hiring and firing and the payment of those employees, and they take care of all of that. We don't do that. We just pay the subcontractor. The subcontractor pays, pays their employees, and that's how we've been doing it for years. Uh, I think it's a reasonable argument, provided that all of the other facts are consistent with that assertion. Uh, OSHA, the Occupational uh, Safety and Health Administration did a pretty good job of marshalling a long list of other facts to contradict this basic assertion that this was an arm's length relationship with one of several subcontractors that AC Castle worked with. Uh, so, so they also challenged the idea that uh, there was a, a, sh a common work site or even under the Darden test there was a common supply of equipment or tools. Provencher bought its own tools and they both had their own separate headquarters. They were actually both working out of the owner's homes. The, the home office was the uh, office for each of these separate companies. But nevertheless, Darden said, you know, they, they share a common work site only when a job is assigned to Provencher. Uh, AC Castle doesn't really have that house as a job site because it's performing no work at that house. So they don't share that common job site unless for a moment Brian LeBlanc happens to be driving by and talking with Mr. Provencher or overseeing the uh, work for quality control or safety compliance, et cetera, uh, but has no employees of his own that share the job site with Provencher's employees. So, so those are the arguments that AC Castle made. Uh, ultimately, the, the, uh, first it went to the Review Commission, and uh, the Review Commission issued a decision, and then the First Circuit uh, when AC Castle appealed that decision, the First Circuit reviewed it again. Uh, Javanet, ultimately, I think by the time they get to, to challenging this before the Review Commission, the primary argument was uh, an attack on the single employer test. And uh, as you know, the opinion goes on as to the underlying merits of the case and as to, uh, to a fair notice argument as well. That's right. So in, in, in challenging 
OSHA's claims, AC Castle, they really tried to focus on the fact that they believed OSHA lacked evidence that Preventure was a supervisory employee of AC Castle. So they said that in applying the Darden factors, OSHA did not consider certain factors that would have been in favor of arguing that uh, Proventure was, was not a supervisory employee of AC Castle. For example, he, um, Proventure uh, provided many of his own tools to his workers, and as you mentioned, Manish, he did do some work for other parties. And even on his tax forms, he, was, uh, he received you know, an IRS form 1099 rather than a W-2. So these kind of factors uh, indicate that he was not uh, a supervisory employee of AC Castle. And also AC Castle's overall argument was that many of these factors that the ALJ considered, uh, they're really typical of the contractor and subcontractor relationship. So they shouldn't be, uh, these aren't factors that necessarily indicate that uh, Proventure was a supervisory employee, but they're just, uh, these factors really just show that they are, they had this subcontractor relationship and this is what people normally do. Um, and then as you mentioned, uh, AC Castle also argued that uh, OSHA violated its right to fair notice in treating PHI and AC Castle as a single employer because in the past OSHA had not done this. And so uh, they argued that this is not fair to now all of a sudden treat them as a single employer. Uh, and then finally, uh, AC Castle also challenged uh, the willfulness uh, of OSHA's allegations. And so OSHA, OSHA's uh, citations uh, were suggest. <clears throat> excuse me, uh, OSHA uh, in issuing its citations uh, argued that um, both the, the companies uh, willfully uh, violated aspects of the OSHA scaffolding standard and AC Castle here claimed that Preventure allegedly they did not know that the scaffolding was not suitable uh, for staging, uh, which would have indicated to him that it would not support the required load. And so therefore, um, the willful citation would be inappropriate. Yeah, I, we should dispense with that one right out of the gate. The, the uh, plank that he used was labeled saying not suitable for staging. And, right. and Brian LeBlanc from AC Castle told Mr. Provencher, uh, make sure you double it up, which maybe because he knew that a single sheet wasn't suitable for staging, uh, which could be evidence towards uh, the presentation of evidence for a willful. But in any event, Mr. Provencher then in turn told his own employees to just use a single sheet. And so, so that I think is even better evidence, at least with regard to Provencher, that it was a willful violation. Mm -hmm. uh, but really what we're here about today is this incredibly important question of the single employer doctrine because it's prevalent in the construction sector that two employers will be co-located and it is prevalent in the construction industry that you have a, a contractor and a subcontractor and sometimes many, many label, layers of contractors, a general contractor and then for a specific discipline you might have a subcontractor who in turn subcontracts out additional other work, maybe the same work as he's doing in order to staff up quickly and it could be uh, alternatively, that he's hiring a sub-subcontractor to do the staging, the prep work, or the cleanup work afterwards, often the case in construction. So the First Circuit looks at all the evidence on both sides and ultimately uh, 
agrees with the review commission i should say the review commission took the position that this was a presentation of a single employer both ac castle and provide behaved in a way that was so integrated that they could be treated uh, under the law as a single employer and when ac castle appealed that to the first circuit the first circuit agreed some of the things that the review commission uh, administrative law judge looked at to base his uh, decision and the first circuit agreed with was that Provencher and AC Castle had been doing this together for at least 18 years, that even though Provencher bought its own tools and materials, Mr. Provencher, who was a single uh, sole proprietor, by the way, he was not incorporated, uh, did not have his own credit card. So when he would go to the hardware store to buy tools or material, he would put it on accounts with AC Castle's account at the hardware store. So he would go to the hardware store, pick up what he needed. He'd go to the contractor counter and say, please put this on AC Castle's account. The clerk would have to call up AC Castle, Brian LeBlanc, and say, I've got this purchase from Mr. Provencher. Uh, do you approve it? And then he would approve it. If it took a while to get Brian LeBlanc on the phone, then Mr. Provencher would just sit, stand there waiting at the counter until he could be reached and approve the uh, purchase. So in fact, although Provencher was buying the materials, he was buying it on AC Castle's account. Uh, in addition, when AC Castle urged the court and the review commission to believe that Provencher was hiring its own employees and AC Castle had no employees, in fact, Provencher, whenever he needed employees, would go uh, put an ad in the newspaper for more uh, workers. But again, because he didn't have a credit card, AC Castle would have to go put that, pay for that ad. Uh, so AC Castle was putting out ads in the paper for Provencher to do its hiring. Uh, when Provencher paid its employees, it needed to wait until it first got paid by AC Castle, and then it would disperse payments to employees. This is maybe it seems like a uh, arcane point, but what it suggests is that Provencher would not have paid employees on a regular and timely basis if it hadn't been paid by AC Castle. Uh, and that made it more than just some institution that is independently liable to its employees for payroll. It made it look more like a pass-through entity for AC Castle to pay those employees. And so, so that evidence that AC Castle tried to assert, both as to tools and materials as well uh, with the payment of employees and hiring of employees, when OSHA dug deeper, it found that, in fact, the facts look more like uh, single employer. Uh, there's other facts that are like that in the same line. For example, Provencher's employees were asked to wear AC Castle t-shirts when on the job site because to the homeowner it should be transparent, it should be uh, indistinguishable that, the, that it gave a job to AC Castle and AC Castle performed the job. So in order to maintain that presentation to the homeowner, the job was given to AC Castle, AC Castle would sell the job to the homeowner, then go hire a Provencher or another subcontractor. That subcontractor's employees would show up appearing as if they were AC Castle uh, by wearing those t-shirts. Uh, likewise, I believe the billing and invoicing to homeowners was under the name AC Castle, and they, they, it represented time that was written by Provencher's employees as AC Castle employees. Perhaps one of the most uh, damaging storylines in this case comes uh, under the inquiry about workers' comp. AC Castle had asserted that every one of its subcontractors had to 
go get its own workers' comp insurance, for example, along with a list of other arguments that it made. OSHA was able to obtain AC Castle's workers' comp applications for each job or notices to its carrier for each job, and it was listing Provencher's employees uh, in the headcount. So, for example, although it had no nominal employees of its own, it would list seven employees on a particular job site or three employees on a job site. And when asked about this, Brian LeBlanc uh, was protesting quite loudly that those documents didn't stand for what they appeared to, claiming that what appeared to be the number three for employees was really just a scribble mark, and what appeared to be a seven on a different form was really the number one, uh, so that there was just one employee, Brian LeBlanc. What he said was, I've filled out this form hundreds of times over you know, 18 years, and I haven't bothered to look at what I was signing, and I just signed it. And I just filled out those uh, question, question blanks, uh, sometimes with the scribble mark. And I think at that point he lost a lot of credibility. Javna, your thoughts? Uh, absolutely, Manish. I think all of the factors that you just described really illustrate how integrated the operations of uh, PHI were with AC Castle and how much control that um, LeBlanc exerted over Preventure and his employees. And I think one more thing that I'll mention, in addition to all of the other compelling uh, facts that Manish discussed, were that um, AC Castle arranged for the only safety training provided to the roofing crew, and uh, Preventure was given a copy of AC Castle's safety program and instructed to implement it. So really, AC Castle is the one that's driving the safety program as well. Yeah, and I'm not sure how I feel about that fact, whether or not that's so persuasive that there was a single employer, but certainly the administrative law judge thought it, it was an interesting fact. Uh, the reason I don't feel that way is because I think a general contractor is on one hand liable as a controlling employer, and so ought to make sure that employees are trained uh, yeah. on safe practices, but on the other, if he does it himself, it starts to look like they're his employees. And ultimately, when it comes to safety, I think everyone needs to roll the sleeves and take a hand in making sure that employees know how to do the job safely and shouldn't be penalized for that under the single employer doctrine. Uh, so, so that's my own view as to whether or not that particular inquiry yeah. should be pursued by courts uh, because it's, it, it could ha happen under both arrangements, an arm's length arrangement and under uh, the fictional contract of a single employer, and therefore doesn't tell as much. It doesn't carry much of what it called probity uh, on the subject of the single employer uh, doctrine. But at any rate, it, it also is similar to, and oh, and by the way, Javanna, you're, you're quite right, and, and Brian LeBlanc, I think, held the safety training sometimes at his own house uh, right. for Provencher's employees. But the other question is, that was interesting to the court that you reminded me of is that uh, Mr. Provencher would sometimes complain to Brian LeBlanc from AC Castle about employees not showing up at the job or not doing a good enough job or not working hard enough. And although Brian LeBlanc would never fire any of them, and nor would he discipline them for safety violations, he would deal directly with Provencher and tell him what to do. It nevertheless looks like Provencher looks to Brian LeBlanc uh, almost like he would a supervisor. And so he, he's placing himself along these fact patterns as uh, a sort of subordinate supervisor to Brian LeBlanc, taking instructions from him. Uh, well, again, that may be something that a subcontractor would do in the natural course of events, so I'm not sure that's the most persuasive. Uh, 
I suppose that the most persuasive argument for AC Castle was that Provencher had other jobs other than those that it received from AC Castle. But the most persuasive uh, arguments in favor of a single employment doctrine seemed to me to be that, to me, that Provencher didn't even hire its own employees. AC Castle had to take an ad out and mm-hmm. buy uh, Provencher's tools, and it came out and looked at the job sites to make sure that it was staffed up appropriately, told the subcontractor when to hire more people, uh, which people weren't maybe worthy of continued employment, et cetera. And those facts seem to me to be the most compelling towards a single employer doctrine. Uh, well, with that said, when it went up to the First Circuit, AC Castle did not like the administrative law judge's decision and appealed it to the First Circuit. And when it went up to the First Circuit, the, the First Circuit rules uh, under a different uh, standard which is merely looking at whether or not the administrative law judge's decision is arbitrary or capricious in any way, or demonstrated uh, an abuse of discretion. And by that standard, the First Circuit said, no, even if we were to disagree with the Review Commission, we didn't think that their different finding was arbitrary or capricious or uh, represented an abuse of discretion. At at any rate, I think the First Circuit clearly came out and and believed that the findings were Right, and so were, was the conclusion of law uh, by by the review commission. So I think that they were in agreement, regardless. Uh, so so that's the first circuit's decision. Uh, it also rejected the the uh, fair notice argument, noting that. Well, so the argument is that, that AC Castle had made was that OSHA had come on site several times in the past and never told us. When Provencher was the subcontractor and never told us that. Uh, that we were a single employer, so we were entitled to rely on that. And there's no fair notice when you suddenly treat us as a single employer. Uh, but in fact, I think that there was one citation in 2011 where OSHA had uh, had noted that they they did appear to be uh, highly integrated operations. Chavane, your thoughts on that? Right, and and also. You know, the, the fair notice rule really applies in scenarios where OSHA informs the company that its its procedures are, are satisfactory, and then they later issue a citation for the same action. But in this case, even if OSHA came onto their site before and never mentioned this theory, um, OSHA never indicated or represent to AC Castle that any of their particular procedures complied with their rules. Um, and also the the single employer test, uh, as well as the Darden common law test, they, they're widely known theories, and so they were no secret to AC Castle. So uh, therefore, the court rejected uh, the fair notice argument because, again, uh, the AC Castle, uh, they, they knew that, or they, they could have known about these theories, and um, in this case, you know, uh, OSHA, you know, when they came on the site, they just learned new information about the relationship between the two, and they found it appropriate at the time to cite them together, and there was no prohibition for them from them doing so. Yeah, and I think we just uh, already dispensed with the our argument against a willful citation. Uh, mm-hmm. The receipts for the plank said it was not for staging. Uh, Provencher knew that. Uh, and he also admitted when uh, put on the stand that he would have used them for scaffolding even if uh, he did know that it wasn't available, uh, suitable for staging. 
but that, that brings us to the next subject, the one we always leave off with, the practical considerations. And I, I think it's safe to say that both when he testified that he would have used them anyways, and again when Brian LeBlanc is testifying and going on about the workers' comp forms, and what the judge noted was a highly incredible testimony that it was just scribble marks and the seven was really a one. Uh, I think that one of the takeaway items for anyone who's faced with an OSHA citation is to work carefully with counsel to prepare for OSHA interviews or for uh, your testimony, either in a deposition or on trial day. Uh, I can't stress enough how much uh, uh, relevance that exercise of preparing well uh, with counsel uh, can, what impact that can have. Uh, the other thing I'd say as to the overall question in the construction industry or anywhere else we find contractors and subcontractors uh, is that general contractors, and I, I constantly counsel my construction firms that I work with uh, about these kinds of issues, is that you have to be very careful. You have to be very careful about the level of control that your folk exercise over the employees of subcontractors. Uh, I always tell them to, to, I always tell my clients who have subcontractors, that you've got to make sure you just deal with management and ask ma the management of the subcontractor to deal with its own employees. Uh, even if the employee of the subcontractor is standing right next to you and, the, and his supervisor isn't, you pick up the phone, call the supervisor, and say, hey, can you tell your, your employees to do X or Y? It also goes to, Javanay, what you were describing about safety training and any other kind of training, uh, and, of course, the provision of tools, the conflagration of image by presenting employees with uh, uniforms or shirts, I ask my clients not to do that with their subcontractors. Sometimes a subcontractor will come without a bump hat, and they're handed a bump hat. Uh, for safety reasons, you've got to give them a bump hat, and the bump hat has a corporate logo on it. And I think it's important to just make sure they realize that they're not employees uh, by communicating this to them. They're not employees, that they're borrowing a bump hat, and that they're not permitted to wear it uh, outside of while they're working, and that the next day they need to bring their own bump hat. And in addition, they're not to take any photos uh, of themselves or post it on social media wearing the bump hat of my organization. That may seem like overkill, but I, I feel like these are the steps employers need to take these days to keep the distance between themselves and their subcontractors. Uh, so, and there's a host of others that I work on a daily basis with my, con uh, my clients who are contractors to subcontractors. Uh, oh, and by the way, almost every employer has subcontractors of one sort or another, although it's easy to visualize in the construction industry. I think it's prevalent in almost every industry that subcontractors are being engaged by employers uh, pretty much all, all over the place. Javane? I, I, I think those are all really great practice points because as this case illustrates, OSHA can hold a company responsible for the actions of its subcontractors depending on the relationship and depending on all of these factors that we discussed, such as right. you know, the and, control. And I think one of the yeah. other things you've got to do, you, you're, you're quite right in pointing out uh, on some of these bullets that you've got to look at tax forms, workers' comp forms, and you've got to take right. a careful review of that before you try and challenge the, uh, the single employer doctrine uh, because some of the documented evidence is indelible and there's no point trying to uh, argue away what you wrote on some of these forms or to argue against uh, uh, what in this case was a pretty substantial body of evidence. Uh, so so uh, looking at uh, all the evidence uh, carefully and in an objective way, preparing your witnesses and making sure you relate to your subcontractors in a way that preserves the arm's length distance are critical steps. 
Uh, Javane, that's it for the OSHA 3030 for this month. I, I greatly enjoyed uh, doing this with you, and I think, uh, I think it's safe to say uh, there's a lot of developments that are taking place in between the various episodes of the OSHA 3030. We try and put out various developments in other methods, uh, like through Twitter, at Rathmanish, uh, or on LinkedIn. Uh, Javane Nakumaram has a LinkedIn page. David Savati, Larry Halpern, several others of our OSHA attorneys all have their own LinkedIn pages, as I do. It's also just a great way to stay in touch. And the Keller and Heckman Workplace Safety and Health uh, page is a distinct page in addition to those. This uh, episode of the OSHA 3030 will be republished as a podcast. So for those of you or those of your colleagues who missed it, you can catch it on, on your favorite podcast channel like iTunes. If you subscribe to the OSHA 3030, it'll just naturally come onto your phone as soon, within a day or two. Uh, all of the prior uh, OSHA 3030 are on our website, khlaw.com slash OSHA 3030. And our next OSHA 3030 will take place in about one month, 1 p.m. Wednesday, May 30th. Uh, please also, for those of you whose organizations uh, deal with TSCA or FIFRA, two critical statutes, uh, please also make sure you stay tuned for the TSCA 3030. The next one will be on May 9th, and the FIFRA 3030 on May 2nd. Information about all of those can be found on our website at khlaw.com. Thank you all for joining us. Shavane Nakumram, thank you very much for joining us on the OSHA 3030 today. I enjoyed it. Thank you, Manish. I enjoyed it as well. And for all of you, I uh, hope to see you again next month. Make sure when you get the invitation, you forward it on to at least three others, colleagues within your firm or other organizations who are responsible for safety and health or our in-house counsel responsible for environmental safety and health or labor safety and health. Uh, and until we see you next month, stay safe.